every Sunday we sing a song, we welcome each other, we give offering, we hear passages from the Bible, um, and we trust that we're not just sort of doing this in this backwards room. Um, we trust that the Holy Spirit really is here with us. Um, he is forming us to be more like Christ through these moments, um, and I'm glad, we are glad uh, to be here with the Holy Spirit together. So with the Holy Spirit filling us, again, we say from Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. God, we have desires that we trust you will fill with good things with your spirit, with renewed youth, with love and compassion and healing. We long for these things, God. And we are always so glad to come here to say thank you for the hope you gave us about these longings. God, we remind ourselves of your promise that there will be a day that Jesus comes again, ending war, ending death and pain, satisfying us with good things and redeeming all of our life. Amen. And as you're able, let's stand and worship. with you. 
children of God. Um, one thing we do together is what the church throughout history has always done, and it's called passing the peace of Christ. We affirm the truth that the peace of Christ, which we sing about, which we hope for, is a real thing indeed. So please turn to someone as you find your seat, greet them with the peace of Christ to you, and then in a quick moment, we'll do some community sharing. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to uh, our GCCC Arlington Site Sunday service. Uh, it's great worshiping together 
uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, just a few community sharings. Uh, there's, there's a few ways to get connected and build community in our church. One way is through small groups, but another way is through what we call connection groups. And so connection groups are built around uh, hobbies, shared interests. Uh, and so you can find uh, more info on our website. But there's some really cool groups. There's like Explore DC group. They went and did a tour of the White House Gardens yesterday. So if, if you're new to the area or you feel like, hey, like these are, are some interests that I have, um, that's a good way to build community. Uh, some other ones that are, are really cool that we have is uh, community service. Uh, so we, we look for places around Arlington community where we can go and just help and just love on our own community. Uh, there's a hiking group, there's a biking, there's golf, there's basketball. So there's many different ways that you guys can come and just be part of our community and community life here. So again, if you want to find more info, you can find it on our website. Uh, if you're a college and a grad student, we have uh, a fun outing. We have museum and gelato on Saturday the 28th. And so uh, it's going to be at this museum called Planet Word, which I haven't, I haven't stopped hearing like amazing things about this museum. So... Uh, if, if you love just museums, exploring museums, hanging out with uh, other students, uh, come uh, and talk to me. It's going to be, we're going to meet 2.30 p.m. at, what's that, what's that Georgetown bus station called? Guts? It's called Guts. At Guts. Um, Georgetown University Transportation Service. I'm not sure if that's it, but it, that, it sounds like what Guts is supposed to be. So that's, we're going to meet at 2.30, probably get back around uh, 5 p.m. So if you're interested, come talk to me. Uh, also that Saturday, uh, we have uh, another uh, serving opportunity. It's with the Arlington Food Pantry. Uh, and so the Arlington Food Assistance Center, uh, they distribute groceries every week to people in need. So these groceries go out to the elderly, uh, it goes out to children, it goes out to people who are unemployed because of whatever circumstance, mental illness, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, they distribute to those who uh, have got referrals from, from churches, from different agencies, from schools. And so uh, we have our, our church signed up for a, a slot of, of 10 people. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're looking for help that day to just come and, again, just help love on our community. Uh, it's going to be Saturday the 28th from 1230 to 2.30. Uh, it'll be cool if, if small groups can do it together just as a way for getting your small group to come together uh, and just love on Arlington. Uh, but uh, if your small group can't and you would still love to, uh, our, our church just wants to be a part of what God is doing here. So uh, if you're interested, uh, talk to Michelle Fleming right there, waving right here. Uh, lastly, we have next Sunday, we have a prayer walk. Uh, and this goes uh, aligned with, with, with what we're trying to be uh, a, a church that really makes an impact into our community, that really knows our community, knows the needs, uh, is, is loving in the way that there are, we're meeting the needs here. And so one of the ways that we want to start doing that is we want to go on a prayer walk. And so right after service next Sunday, 
uh, we're going to go out in groups of about four to five people. Uh, we have different routes uh, that, that, that Pastor Carl drew up, and each route is about 45 minutes. We'll go out and just uh, walk together, talk together with, with your group, and uh, in the meantime, just, just be praying over our community. Uh, and as we do that, we get to know the community, but also grow our hearts uh, for this local area. And so that's going to be next uh, Sunday. Uh, and then afterwards, if you're available, uh, we're going to eat together uh, at Whole Foods, eat lunch together. So uh, at this time, I'd like to invite Zach to come and share with us a little bit of uh, what to expect. Good morning. My name is Zach Osterloh. Uh, here to talk about what we did on our last prayer walk that we held and what you can expect if you come with us next Sunday. So uh, in an effort to get to know the neighborhood, it is amazing how much you don't notice about your neighborhood when your only goal is just getting from place to place. So my family lives about half a mile from here. I walk to work at the Pentagon and most of the time my head's down, I'm listening to a podcast in my earbuds, not noticing. So when we went on the prayer walk earlier this year, you just see things when you're actually paying attention to your surroundings and trying to notice what's out there. So we walked for about a mile. We looked at the buildings. We talked about who lives here, who works here in an effort to get to new, know the neighborhood. Um, so we prayed as we walked, but we weren't, you know, walking around laying hands on buildings or pointing at people or anything like that. We were just it was more, like I said, getting to know the area, trying to learn about who lives and works in this area where we worship. So we notice, I'm, as I'm sure many of you who have lived here for a while, the neighborhood has changed significantly in the last few years. So all these new buildings, all these new people who are living here, new people who are working here, just being in touch with who lives and works around here. So. Um, my family found it to be a very moving experience, bad joke, pun intended, and we felt closer to those who live and work around here. So if you can join us next Sunday, I'd encourage you to come with us. We're going to start here at the hotel, different routes uh, going around different neighborhoods around here, and then we'll all end up at Whole Foods for lunch. So if you can join us, we'd love to have you. Thanks. Right, thanks so much, Zach. Um, yeah, we'll hope to see you guys there. So again, this is just after service next week. Um, just stick around, and then we'll we'll distribute some little maps you can, um, that show you a route to take. Uh, we'll just pray, bless the neighborhood, um, and um, just seek God's goodness um, for this neighborhood. And, um, and then we'll have some lunch afterwards. Um, the week after next week, so October 29th, um, we're having a joint service. We mentioned this um, last week. I know Pastor Jonathan also talked a little bit more about what we're doing, but um, one of our visions as a church is to be part of um, people knowing Christ and experiencing Christ uh, all over the world. And so um, we, we care, obviously, about our neighborhood. We care about our region. And we have partnerships um, with, like, Casa in Arlandria, with Little Lights in D.C., you know, and, and the food pantry and so on. Um, but we also have a vision for our involvement in faraway places. And in the past, we've been involved, um, very deeply involved in partnership with um, a group of uh, people um, near Barcelona in Spain. And much more recently, um, we've been involved with partners in Cambodia. And we also have a few others 
um, that we as a church um, give support to, and we as part of a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance um, also give support to. Um, and so on October 29th, it's a chance for us to celebrate those international partnerships and our involvement uh, abroad. And again, this is a big part of who we are as a church. It's a big part of our budget. It's a big part of our prayer. It's a big part of just our investment as a community. And so, um, you know, we don't do the joint services that often, maybe like a couple, I don't know, a few times a year. Um, like two of those times are at the holidays because um, the other location at Tyson's, they meet at a high school and the high school closes for the holidays. It's like public school district, you know? Um, so we have those, but also just beyond that, we have a couple throughout the year and those couple Sundays are celebrations of big things in our church. So one of those big joint Sundays is our baptism service. We all get together. We have a great time. We celebrate people um, confirming their new life in Christ. It's a really great time. We have lunch afterwards at the high school. And we're going to do the same thing in two weeks. So two weeks from today, October 29th, we're going to celebrate where there's going to be some people who are visiting us from overseas um, and uh, we'll be learning more about what they do. We'll just be celebrating things that are happening, um, and we'll just kind of confirm, like, this is who we are, and this is what we care about. And so please be there. I know, especially if you live around here, and especially if you don't have a car, um, it's, kinda like, it's a pain to get out there. Um, but we'll have rides, and uh, we'll do another like, little introduction to our drivers next Sunday. <laughs> But it's happening. So if you if you uh, need a ride, that's fine. Just come out, join us. I mean, you're like, oh, maybe I'll just take an Uber. You know, I'll figure it out. Like, no, don't take an Uber. Not just to save yourself 20 bucks or whatever, but just so we could be together. Yeah? Amen? <laughs> all right, so let's all be there on October 29th. Um, before we uh, look at our uh, sermon passage for today, um, we uh, always pray for our communal offering of our financial giving. Um, this is something that we do not by passing around a plate, but by um, clicking links online on our website. Um, but it's a very holy, um, sacred uh, clicking. And um, because we do that sort of on our own, um, like you know, on our phone or uh, on your computer at home or whatever, um, we take time to remember together that this is a communal part of our, our life together, a communal part of our uh, worship as well. So please pray with me as we do that. God, we thank you for uh, calling us to be part of your family and your work and your endeavors, not just individually, but as a church. And we're thankful that we have this life in you that also is a life in a community. And when we, as we give, Lord, we remember um, and we're so thankful that we are not just living life on our own or not just, you know, attending like the service uh, once a week, but we, we actually are a community living life together and we really are part of a church where we belong to it and it belongs to us. We're so thankful. And so, Lord, out of our thankfulness, out of our love, out of our unity, uh, Lord, we give generously, uh, freely from our hearts, Lord, to one another and to your cause. Lord, we love you. Uh, we want to just want to say that as sincerely and kind of humbly as possible, but we, we love you, Lord. And today as we look at um, the scripture uh, from Genesis and some others, 
Lord, call us to yourself. Lord, show us who we are and show us who you are. And Lord, lead us into the kind of life that, lead us more into that kind of life that you have designed us for. Uh, Lord, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad prayer for us to say, Lord, help us to live uh, our fullest life. Lord, teach us what that looks like and bring us into that in you. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we're meditating on your scripture here today. Comfort us, strengthen us, encourage us, deepen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're looking at Genesis uh, 2 and 3 today. We've been going through this series in Genesis. Um, and you know, We're looking at the first chunk of Genesis, Genesis 1 to 11, over these uh, few months. Today we're looking at Genesis 2 and 3. And uh, if you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is The Human Predicament, Lies Fall and Grace from God. Lies fall and grace from God. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 8. And um, we might skip uh, some, some verses, um, but we'll just uh, continue to um, actually the end of chapter 3. So chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the Adam, the man, the Adam whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. So very specifically, so there's all these trees that are pleasant to, to the sight and good, they look good and they taste good, the fruit. But then there are two in verse, uh, at the end of verse 9. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um... Again, this passage, we've been saying this for the last month or so, but this passage is highly symbolic. Um, I, I think we can say that it's historic, like it's historical, I mean, but it's not written in the ways that we write histories typically. Um, and so it's, it's written in this highly symbolic, poetic way. And so um, this tree of life, it's symbolic. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil is symbolic. Okay, these people, Adam, the man, Humankind, humanity, um, it's symbolic. It's not just about one particular random person who happened to have the name Adam, but it's, it's a story of us. So when we read Genesis 1 to 11, and today as we're reading Genesis 2 and 3, we're seeing ourselves. We're seeing like our human predicament. Like this is what human life looks like, okay? We're going to skip verse 10 to 14. We're going to go to verse 15. The Lord God took the Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. By the way, these are worship words. The only other time we see these two words together, work it and keep it, are given to priests, and they're worship words. Like, we, um, we, we actually serve God, and we keep his commands. We keep his words. So these are worship words. So it's interesting. Actually, a lot of people will say that the Garden of Eden is the first temple. And I think that's a very right on kind of thing as we look throughout the Bible. Um, we see the actual temples that are built. They're made to look like a garden. It's like, why do you have vegetables and carved into the temple? You know, because it refers back to this and uh, also at the end of Revelation. Anyway, but let's continue. Uh, to work it and keep it, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the Adam, saying, you may surely eat out of every tree of the garden. Surely eat is an English way of translating uh, two, like, double verbs in Hebrew, so it's literally, you may eat, 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 you will surely eat, 
Um, so this is actually uh, the first command. Eat, eat. Eat, eat. Enjoy. Enjoy this world. But then in verse 17, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, that, in the day that you eat of it you will die, die. You'll surely die. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the Adam should be alone. I will make, a, I will make him a helper fit for him. We're going to skip down to verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the Adam. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is a poetic verse. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's keep that in mind. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, there's another character that's added here. Now the serpent, there's a serpent, there's a snake. He was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so this is a talking snake. So immediately you're like, wait, this is... This isn't a, uh, like a science, uh, you know, like a newspaper account. No, it's different. Okay? It's a highly stylized, highly sim symbolic, um, poetic form of expressing the human condition. So this snake, the serpent, said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So, you know, she's, she's right about that. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Well, not die, die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're like, what does this mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, what does this mean? You know, um, you will be like God. W weren't they already made to be like God? Like, weren't they made to be in God's image? Wasn't that the whole point? Um, but somehow Satan is saying, no, like, you're missing something. Okay? God knows you're missing something, and that's why he doesn't want you to eat it, because he wants to withhold that from you somehow. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, highly symbolic. All right, there's a lot of questions we can ask here, but um, we're just going to try to stick to some things that we can that, that seem um, like very much emphasized in the text. Okay, there's a whole load of rabbit trails we could go on for sure, but just hold on. Okay, 
Um, again, it's highly, like, what, what did the tree look like? What did these trees look like? We don't know. Um, like, what kind of fruit was it? You know, uh, like, uh, in, in a lot of um, sort of paintings and, you know, pop culture of the Bible, um, it's an apple, but it never says apple. We don't know. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. It might have been like a kiwi. I don't know, you know. Uh, but it, that's kind of beside the point, right? So let's just focus on what the text says. By the way, also, like, what did Adam and Eve look like? How old were they? Did they look sort of like 20? Did they look like sort of like 60? You know, were they really young? You know, we don't know. You know, what kind of hair did they have? Was it straight? Was it curly? How tall were they? Like, what was their, like, build? You know, like, what, what are some features? How, how, what was their, like, the tone of their skin? You know, and, and actually people have kind of delved into these kind of things, and sometimes people just make assumptions and then, you know, paint famous paintings, and then kind of all, all of us, you know, are like, oh, yeah, Adam and Eve were white. You know, but we don't know that. So we're just, let's not read into things. Let's not, you know, um, let's not get caught up in, in some of these questions. Let's just stick to the text. So um, let's continue. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Again, like where was God? Let's just stick to the text. You know? There's a lot of questions we can ask. But they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or in the spirit of the day, in the breath of the day, in the ruah is the Hebrew word, of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, said to him, where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And we're going to skip the next chunk of poetry. We're going to actually talk about that next Sunday. But for today, we'll skip to verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was a mother of all living. Again, the idea is that Adam and Eve, they are representative of all of us. In verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothe them. Very interesting kind of uh, conclusion to this chunk of the story. And the Lord God made for Adam and his, for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. All right, this is Genesis 2 and 3. Um, we're going to, again, look at this text as a picture of humanity, an accurate picture of the human predicament of life. So we won't get into very good questions about, like, what is a tree of knowledge of good and bad? Like, why is it there? Like, who's at fault here? Was it Satan's fault, people's fault, or was it even God's fault for setting up this situation? These are very good questions, and I encourage you actually to talk about them um, together, maybe in your small groups or over meals, um, which is actually meditation. You know, actually meditation in, in the Bible, when, it, when the Bible talks about meditating on the Bible, uh, it's usually not a solitary thing. You know, for us, often we think of meditation as like really quiet, like by ourselves, made with a journal and a coffee, you know, that's like the image. Um, but in the Bible, um, meditation is out loud, and it's with other people. 
And so, like, talk about these things. Ask these questions of each other. Let's, let's talk about that. But in our worship here, um, we're just trying to, we're trying to, like, focus more on the text of the Bible itself. And, you know, we're trying to restrict kind of our kind of good theological speculation. But we're just going to look at a few things from here, a few things that we feel, like, a little more clear about as this, um, as this, as these chapters, again, give us a picture of human life. Number one, Satan, the serpent, who is named Satan in the rest of the Bible, but we'll call him Satan um, because we have the rest of the Bible and we know that this is the serpent's name. Satan is a real entity. And Satan, this real entity, lies. Okay, Satan, this real entity, lies. That's what Satan does. Satan lies. All right, there's, you know, and again, in our culture, we have different, like, images of Satan or the, the devil, especially, like, you know, it's October, like, Halloween time, and, you know, we have all these images, so it's like, you know, the devil is, like, mostly red in color, and uh, he has, like, a tail, and has, like, a pitchfork, and he, like, I don't know, pokes at people, I guess, with that pitchfork. Actually, I don't know what the pitchfork is for. Is he, like, doing stuff in the barn? I don't know, but I think he's, like, poking people with it. Um, but in the Bible, when we look at Satan, um, what we see is that Satan is, like, the distinguishing characteristics of Satan is that he lies, that he leads us astray. So as an example, um, just look at Revelation 12.9. I'll just read it. You can turn to it. But Genesis 12.9 talks about this ancient serpent being thrown down who is called the devil and Satan, who is the deceiver of the whole world. That's who Satan is. He is a great ancient serpent who is the deceiver of the whole world. Again, not just a deceiver of this particular sort of random set of people, Adam and Eve, but he's a deceiver of humanity, of the whole world. He lies to us. He leads us away from our creator, and by doing that, he ruins us. The Satan is a real figure. It's a real entity. I guess you could call him a person. But I'm a little hesitant because depending on how you define person, but at least he's a real entity, and he lies. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but in Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to be looking at this from verse 21 to 23. I'm just going to read this. Um, there's this time in Jesus' life, and it's a very famous occasion between him and his disciple Peter. Matthew 16 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the, the, the nation's leadership and religious leadership and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is not your way. In verse 23 of Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He actually calls him Satan. Why? Because Peter is acting like Satan. He's trying to lead Jesus astray. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, or not on the things of, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is what Satan does. This is what Satan does. Again, Adam and Eve are not just two random people, but they stand for the human community, for humanity. And in the Bible, Satan isn't a liar just to certain individuals. He lies to humanity. Yes, he lies to Jesus. And there are some places in the Bible where Satan is an enemy to a specific person or a group of people. But generally, the way the Bible describes Satan is he's a liar and he's our enemy. 
again, in that popular culture where you know, he has like a tail and a pitchfork, he's often seen as like a personal tempter. You know, like each of us has the voice of Satan, like on our, like a little mini pitchfork guy on our shoulder, like, oh, do this bad thing, you know, da da da. You know, that's sort of the pop culture picture. But, but in the Bible, Satan is not usually pictured as like a personal one on one tempter. He's a tempter and a liar to humanity to lead us astray from God collectively. So Satan's lies might come to us individually, but mostly he's a liar to us together. So Satan's lies are generally, again, in the biblical picture of Satan, Satan's lies are generally like they're spoken to nations, not just individuals. It's like a national belief, a national understanding that, that is infused with Satan's lies. Satan's lies are spoken to industries. They're spoken to schools of philosophy and economics and government. They're spoken to a general culture. And we are tempted by this lying enemy, this very real and lying enemy, to choose a way of life that does not trust God. That's what we see pictured in Genesis 2 and 3 with this serpent. The serpent, the Satan, is the enemy of us, and he's the enemy of God. And he's trying to ruin us. He's trying to break us up from each other and from God. And he does this by lies. Does this by lies. Actually, when I think about it, sometimes I think of like, like teen movies and shows. You know, like, um, I won't mention any specifically because I'm embarrassed that I know them. <laughs> like, like teen movies and shows, you know, where there's like, you know, some troublemaker, a mean girl, you know, it's like, oh, you know, did you hear this is what they said? Da, da, da. And you like break people apart. That's what Satan is. But Satan does this to us as humanity. Okay, number one, Satan is a real entity and he lies. Number two, humanity, humanity falls to temptations. This is a human predicament. This is what human life is. Humanity falls to temptations not to trust God. That's what we do. We fail. And we fall into temptations not to trust God. See, our temptation, represented by this picture of Adam and Eve and the story of what happened to them, our temptation is to choose a way of life that does not trust God. Our temptation is to choose a way of life that is separate from God. Our constant temptation as humans is to choose a way of life that suspects God's way of life cannot fulfill us. We talked in previous weeks about how we as humans are made in God's image and thus we have great power and great responsibility. But the intention, the design of this was not for us to do these powerful things without God. Like, oh, I've made you in this way, now go and do it. I'll never see you again. No, the idea was we are meant to wield this great power and great responsibility with God, with worship, with trust, with love and unity with God. That's how we were made. But we're constantly choosing not to. Again, as individuals, but also communally, collectively. Like in our economy. You know, Satan speaks to us as a group, as a school of economics or whatever. Satan lies and says, we have to maximize profit in order to be happy. Yeah, God says, you know, for example, in Leviticus, leave some parts of your field for the poor. 
Don't harvest everything. Don't harvest every fruit and vegetable in your field. But leave the edges for the poor. That's God's heart. But we say, no, that can't be a fulfilling way. That can't, no. Even if God says, that must not be what God means. Because to be really fulfilled, what we all have to do is maximize our profits. Let's get the most expensive house that we can afford. Let's build the most expensive house that people will buy to maximize profits. We're taught that that's always better. As professionals, who, some of you have families, or you're starting families. As professionals who have families, we're taught that it's good to take up as many educational resources as there are out there for our kids. Like to hoard them even, even if that means less privileged kids can't have them. We're taught as a culture that's a fulfilling way of life, even if it's not God's way. But that's what we face all the time, again, together. And the consequences of this are that we as humanity see ourselves as not being what we're supposed to be. In the story, Adam and Eve hide themselves. And again, is this really about, like, how we feel about our bodies? Is, this, is Genesis 2 and 3, is that really what it's about? So when Genesis 2 and 3 says that this Adam and Eve were naked, I think it's more than just they didn't have clothes. They were one with one another. Remember this poem. This is at last the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This beautiful thing. The man and the wife were both naked and felt no shame. And then you compare that to like right after, like 10 verses from there, seven verses there uh, from there. They were ashamed and they sewed leaves together. They sewed leaves together. And again, like for us, we're like, okay, you know, they put the leaves in a certain place because, you know, we have our cultural associations. I don't think that's the point here. The point is, we're just trying to cover ourselves. We're trying to hide ourselves from each other. This is a consequence of our choice, of our falling into temptation. We see ourselves as being not what we are supposed to be. And this plays out in so many ways. Yeah, this plays out specifically, yeah, very literally, like, in our body image. But it also plays out in so many other ways. What we do, what we feel, our histories, our futures. And so we hide ourselves from each other. We hide ourselves from God, and we actually, just like this story tells, we actually blame each other for our flaws and failures. This is a human predicament. This is Genesis 2 and 3's picture of humanity. Satan is a real entity, and he lies. He lies to us collectively. Number two, we as humanity constantly fall to temptations not to trust God. To suspect that God's way of life cannot really be that fulfilling. And then number three, and this comes from this is the end of this chunk that we read, verse 21 of chapter 3. God has a smaller grace, what I'll call a smaller grace, but that smaller grace is big. I'm going to read verse 21 again. So oh, just a reminder, they, they were ashamed of, of themselves, they're hiding from God and from each other, and they sewed fig leaves together somehow. Verse 21, the end of this, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. 
really interesting. So God gives them clothes. Um, there's a day that's coming, and we sang about it earlier, and as we sing about it and pray about it, I think, every week. There's a day that's coming when Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to end curses. By the way, the section of Genesis 3 that we skipped about curses, we're going to talk about that next week. But Jesus is going to end curses. Jesus is going to bring healing. He's going to bring unity. He's going to bring a beautiful way of life in God to all of us. He's going to recreate all things, make all things new, a beautiful life, a beautiful world he's going to create and recreate. A world without violence, without war, without bitterness, without rage, without revenge. But until that day, until that day, God gives us grace. All right? We could say God's big grace, biggest grace, is that Jesus is going to come. He's going to remake everything. But a smaller grace is that while we're waiting, while we live in a world full of shame, of violence, of rage, of bitterness, of choosing ways of life that are not God's ways, in this life that we experience, God gives us grace to kind of get through the days. Okay? He gives them clothes. Like, he doesn't solve every problem. At the end of this, he doesn't say, you know what? We're just going to do a whole do-over here. Actually, he does that a little bit, but uh, in a few chapters. But here, he, he pronounces these curses. He says, this is what life is going to be like. He says there's going to be, he actually promises, and we'll talk about it next week, that there's going to be an end to this. But in the meantime... He gives them clothes. And I think that says a really profound thing about God's grace. You know, a lot of times for us, when we, when we I don't know, we have a need. We pray for something. We're hoping for something. So our response sometimes is like, if God does not do that thing, if there's not like complete healing, if there's not like a complete granting of this thing that we desired, we're, we're really disappointed. It, it's kind of like this all-or-nothing attitude that we bring to God. It's like, well, you know, now what? You know, you know, my life is what now because this thing didn't happen. But 321 tells us there's a smaller grace that is still big that God gives us. And he gives us grace basically to manage our pain, to manage our shame, to manage the distance that we feel from each other. He gives us ways to experience that. And, and it's beautiful. Those of us who, I mean, I guess it's all of us, but those of us who have experienced disappointment, even disappointment in God, it's important for us to remember, even if we don't get complete healing now, and, and even as we're waiting for that complete healing that Jesus is going to bring when he comes again, while we're waiting, in our disappointments, in our struggles, in our pain, in cry, you know, some of you know people, some of you experience it yourself, like know people with chronic pain, whether that be physical or emotional. 
It's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're waiting for a, a better creation, a better day. But in the meantime, there are ways that God loves to give us grace to manage that pain. And that's a beautiful grace. So that's why we can say God's smaller grace, like not the, not the grace he's going to give us when Jesus returns, but the smaller grace he gives us every day until then is big. And we rely on God for that kind of grace. Amen? So just in, in, as we close here, uh, as we reflect on Genesis 2 and 3 here and, and our human predicament, um, I just want us to, in, to just pray a couple ways. One, just for us to be thankful, just for us to acknowledge and be thankful for God's smaller grace to give us every day in our pain, even when he doesn't take away the painful thing, the grace that he gives us every day and get by. And then number two, just to say together that we trust you, God. You know, when Satan tempts us to believe that God doesn't want, like, our full life, you know, want us to have a full life, when we are tempted to believe that ourselves, one discipline that really helps us, one discipline that really helps us is just to say together and to remind ourselves together God is totally trustworthy. God is good. God's ways are trustworthy. A life in Christ is the fullest life possible. Let us trust God. God, we trust you. We want you. And this is something, one reason we come every Sunday like this. It's a discipline. We as a community are saying together, God, we trust you. Even though we face a temptation every day, it's again, collectively, we, we face a temptation every day to say, God, we don't really need you. We don't really need to go your way. We have this discipline. Every week we come together and say, God, we do need you. God, your way is good. Your life is full. And so I'm just going to, we're going to um, pray corporately together um, as one body in, in a moment. But just um, before we do, I invite you just in your own words just to say, God, thank you for your grace every day to get, get it, you know, just to help us get through every day. Even while we're waiting for a more complete healing. And number two, just say, God, we need you. And your way is good. And we just say that again. We just we trust you. Um, yeah, let's just pray that together. I'll give you maybe like 20, 30 seconds to just, you know, pray that in your own words. And then um, afterwards, uh, Julie will be leading us in a, a prayer together. Church, let's um, continue to respond to the Lord by praying together, and I'll pray prayers on our behalf, um, and for each little section, I'll close part of the prayer by saying, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, 
there is forgiveness. And then I invite you to um, say after that, we can do it together. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Let's pray. God, our amazing creator, we continue to be amazed by your creative powers. We are in awe that you made us, and you made us to have creativity and to have power in your image. God, we're so thankful for this purpose for our lives. But we also recognize that we often fail to live out your image well. We don't reflect you well as we relate to each other um, online or at school, at work, in our homes, with our family and friends and with strangers. God, help us um, to be more like you in your image. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Lord, please forgive us when we live for our own selfish gain. Forgive us, God, when we do not want to consider others better than ourselves or when we do not want to be concerned with the interest of others, especially when those interests make our lives uncomfortable or inconvenient. God, we confess that we fall into the temptation of blaming and complaining instead of facing our own weaknesses. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Lord, please remind us again of who you are. Jesus, we ask that you help us to remember that you being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Jesus, you humbled yourself. You became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, remind us of your unfailing love that took you to the cross and paid for our failures, past, present, and future. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. God, we also see so clearly in us and around us the impact of human sin, the failure of us, your created beings, to love you and to love others. God, we continue to pray for a world that is in conflict and war. We pray for peace. We pray for less death, for less violence, and for less hatred. We pray for the war going on in Ukraine, this lengthy war as we enter the winter. We pray for this new conflict in Israel and Palestine, for the refugees, for the civilians. We pray for the Nagorno-Karabakh region between Armenia and Azerbaijan and the people fleeing this home that they've had for decades. We pray for the violence in the Democratic Republic of the Congo 
and for the new um, political leadership that might be changing. We also pray for our own leadership in this country, God. Would you bring mature level heads to our government that we would lead with um, wisdom? Lord, we know the dignity of all people because all people have been created by you and in your image. Have mercy, God. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. With the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. God, give us ears to hear and grace to respond to Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for making a way for us to belong to you, despite us missing the mark of love, of creativity, of responsibility, of forgiveness, and self-control. Thank you, God, for being our good shepherd and for leading us continually. Amen. There's a, a story that's um, kind of well-known in the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, uh, that's repeated in like three of the Gospels, um, where um, Satan um, tempts Jesus for like 40 days, and, um, and Jesus overcomes those temptations. And um, I know something I learned when I was younger um, was sort of like, there's a lesson to us to be like Jesus by like memorizing scripture. Um, which may not, it's not a bad thing, but we're sort of missing the lead of that story. And the story is Jesus is in that wilderness for 40 days, and it's a picture, it's a representation of Israel in the wilderness for 40 days. It's a picture of Satan tempting the Israelites, Jesus, or Satan tempting Jesus, just like Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and Jesus actually coming through in a way that Israel didn't, in a way that Adam and Eve didn't. And that story is about how Jesus is, a, is the true agent of God, is a true human being in God's image, living out that image the way we're supposed to. Jesus is our life of fulfillment. Jesus is the image of God we are being transformed into. And so every week we come together and we, we take bread and cup. And in this is a remembrance of who Jesus is. Jesus, the true human. Jesus, the one who really lived out the life that God intended for us. And by eating this bread and drinking this cup, we're identifying with him. We're saying, we're one with you, Lord. Our life is in you. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of my blood shed for you. And when you eat it and when you drink it, you remember my death. You are one with me. This is what we're confessing as we, as, as we take it, as we eat and as we drink. And so I encourage you just as you come up, um, as you take the bread and as you take the cup, just to say, Lord, you are our life. You are what we want to be. And we're one with you and we're so glad to be one with you. Our 
identity, our identity, so gratefully, our identity is in you. I invite you to keep praying. I know as, as Julie led us in prayer, um, just encourage you to keep praying as things are put on your mind and your heart as well. Um, but before, this last thing before we come up, we say the summary of, of our faith, the story of Christ, basically, uh, that we're living out, uh, that we're trusting in. Um, and so it starts with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. If you're a follower of Christ, we encourage you to just come and uh, we invite you to come and take. Uh, there's a table in the back and a table in the front.
church as we end with this last song <clears throat> in recognizing God's grace for us we, we declare in confidence that the, the most confident thing we can be in is boasting in Christ it's completely nothing we do, nothing about us but we, we, we throw our faith, our trust our confidence in Christ and Christ alone so as, we, as we worship let, let's close um, in, in joy and just utter confidence that it, it is Christ and his work on the cross and his redeeming love that we can be here and worship in new life today. Let's, let's worship that way. His mercy reigns now and forever.
we go from here always we're sent um we're sent you know not just blessed but we're sent and uh, we're sent to this world and our fellow humanity um, pointing to a full and better humanity in christ one that identifies with us completely in our weakness one that heals us and forgives us and one that points us to a better way a fuller way so let's do that friends in the midst of our shared humanity with everyone around us. Let's be people who point to Christ, people who point to our Creator. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week.